Welcome to this episode of The Work, a podcast that unpacks the tough, tough situations that we're all dealing with in the workplace through conversations with some of the most interesting people in the category. Our guest today is Kyle Lagunas. Kyle is at General Motors these days, but my co-host John Sumser and I have known Kyle for quite some time, and he's had a very interesting career journey. So with that, I'd like to turn the floor over to Kyle. And Kyle, please introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about that career journey. Oh, my dear Lord. Um, Gene, thank you so much for having me. John, it is wonderful to see your friendly face. Um, So Kyle Lagunas, I am at General Motors. I have a very bloated title. I am the head of talent attraction, sourcing and insights. Um, I describe it as running the go-to-market functions for our talent acquisition group. Um, That's my day job. Um, I also am responsible for driving our transformation strategy in TA. Um, I like to talk about General Motors. Um, Our our TA function is the car maker's children. Um, You know, everyone's driving these big fancy cars and we are still driving. um, Let me think. Of a, a Ford, maybe. I'm so sensitive. <laughs> I guess I'm like, I can't say anything bad about any of our cars. Sure. But, <laughs> you know, um, I have this really exciting uh, uh, and very difficult uh, role in front of me where um, I am trying to help um, a business function um, evolve in 18 months um, in doing the work that should have probably been done over five years. Um, I think it's a tale that a lot of TA leaders, HR leaders are familiar with. We are the last ones to get um, pulled along in the transformation journey for companies. Um, I have never done this job before. I have never done any of this work before. Um, Before I joined here, I was the director of strategy at Beamery, um, a CRM for recruiting. And before that, I was spending 10 years as an analyst, which is where I met you two wonderful people. Um, It started actually with me and John having a cup of coffee in Austin. I was doing some research back then. I was a blogger and I was trying to understand what the applicant tracking system was. (laughs) And I sent a note to John, uh, just a random cold email. And he said, are you in Austin? I, I'm going to be in Austin. We should get together and we'll talk. And that was it. I mean, you and I sat down, I think probably for an hour and a half and I had my notebook and I was writing all kinds of things. We were talking about Bucky at Loomis and we were talking about <laughs> um, success factors and I, we were talking about brass ring. I mean, you were just ran me through it and I was just hooked, honestly. Um, So I spent 10 years um, studying innovation cycles and new systems and capabilities in HR and talent acquisition tech. And um, and now I'm putting it all to work here on this really wild ride. Oh, I'm going to jump into a really thick question for you. Ready? Mm -hmm. Your story is all about doing things that you've never done before. You one thing after another. I've watched you. It's been amazing. You always do the next thing that you don't know anything about. Um, and you do it with relish. Recruiting systems 
don't have any way of finding people like that because they want to match you with what you used to do. Um, how do you build that into an attraction strategy? Because when you think about GM, the primary problem that GM um, is tackling, I think, in the market is they have to learn how to do things they've never done before. Mm. Right? And, and so, so your experience and your story is exactly an analog for the, for the core work that you have to do. But for my money, all of the systems work against um, finding people who want to do things that they've never tried before because the search takes you through qualifications and matching based on mm. Hmm. Um, I mean, John, I would say that's probably why I'm sitting in this role now is because I represent in many ways, um, my career represents in many ways, um, what General Motors is trying to tap into. Um, you know, we are looking for non-traditional talent. We're looking for new skill sets. I mean, I'm not I'm, the volume I'm looking at. It's just not just more people. It's completely new people, completely new capabilities. So um, with that said, I would argue that the capabilities that we're trying to implement, um, which include a CRM, a AI matching and scoring and um, conversational AI. Um, I am trying to take a TA workforce or TA team that's not growing and scale their operating capacity so that we can hit the high volume of, of hires that we have to get done this year. Some of it is helping them to make more obvious decisions to find the more obvious fit for a role. But I would argue that in freeing them up from the hours spent every week scheduling interviews, the days that they spend looking through a million applications to find a, a, a good fit, that by getting some of that work off of their plates and getting them right to value, that's when they have the headspace to talk to some weird kid who emailed them randomly wanting to learn about applicant tracking systems and say, you know what? I actually have an hour for some coffee. Let's get together. So you're not wrong, but I think that it depends on the recruiter at that point. Um, if they want to live just by the recommendations and the automations that I'm trying to implement, they can and they'll do fine. But I think the best recruiters are going to take this and, and run with it and do something with it. That's awesome. So you're coming out of time at Beamery, uh, which which is um, a pretty amazing approach to integrating data about people and messaging with people. Um, mm -hmm. Are you bringing that forward? Um, is, is, is that how you're thinking about solving this problem? It, it is a big part of it. Um, it it's so I'm, I'm crafting, I'm, you're going to laugh at me, John, but I'm calling it our zero emissions talent pipeline. I'm it's very cheesy, <laughs> but it's very real. Look, you're my, a good my, marketer my, too. You're a very you good know, marketer. <laughs> she knows how to market ladies. Um, sell an idea, but really big ideas like this in, in, in HR and talent, you got to connect into something that the business understands. We have a zero, zero, zero initiative, zero emissions, zero crashes, zero congestion. It's a big part of our innovation story. So that's why I'm calling it that. But the point is to have a system that can it, that can catch people who slip through the cracks. 
when you are running this fast, when you are processing this much, people fall through all the time. And especially when, and I, I have nothing against applicant tracking systems. Some of my, my favorite people in the space work at ATSs and it's a, it's a huge part of the work, right? It's just helping to process, but they're not designed to catch the people who slip through. They're designed to move people forward that are going to move forward, right? So having the CRM in place, it just helps me to get a little bit of a safety net um, and, and, and into the operation. We have this really great call to action, which is everybody in. And originally it was a call to action that everybody in electric vehicles, that's what we see. But I'm like, we're really looking, everybody should have an opportunity to be a part of our fully electric future. And that's where the CRM helps. The answer is not, you're, we're not going to move forward with you at this time. It's that we would like to actually keep you engaged. We want you to be a part of this. It just may not be right now. Um, so we are looking at, um, you know, prioritizing uh, re candidate reintegration. So candidates that are dispositioned who made it to interview, they are going to be like within two weeks, we're going to try and get them in, in uh, reintegrated into some other uh, other opportunity, right? Those who maybe made it to a screen with a the recruiter, they thought, oh, this, this person looks like they might have something, made it to a screen and they're like not quite ready. We'll put them into a different level of priority. But we are trying to actually nurture people throughout like the next, whatever, 18 months after we spoke to them, because we think we can get some, like their interest in us is valuable, right? I'm just trying to put a, a, a solution in place to help me make the most of that interest. I, I, I want to I just go back to something I heard you say earlier, because okay. I think that um, pre-COVID, for sure, and even during COVID, people are still very focused on, you know, the outcome, the transaction, the running as hard as we can, the filling the day, never having a moment of, of downtime. And you use the term headspace. And I think that's where the magic happens. How do you make sure people have time for 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 the, for critical thinking? You know, mm -hmm. how do you how do you get them to slow down and actually look at something? I tell them to. I mean, part of it is like having leads that tell me to. I was trying to schedule a meeting on Friday at four thirty, and uh, my innovation lead, Jerry Barrison, you all might know her. She used to. Uh, run the talent acquisition product portfolio at uh, Connexa Brass Ring. Sure. Yeah. Um, she told me, Kyle, Friday is for us to re reset from the week, you know, catch up and uh, and get ready for next week. It's not for more meetings. <clears throat> and she's really holds me accountable to like, I'm, I'm in go mode. You know, I'm trying to get 16 things done in the time that I have. So having good leads in place to say, hey, we got to chill, rein it in. But also for myself, seeing my seeing my teammates um, sending emails at 10 o'clock at night, every single night, you know, I'll ask, like, hey, is that just, are you just, is that part of your work day? Like, you, are you leaving at three and then maybe checking, catching up in the evening, trying to just like probe the behavior? Because I said in my very first meeting with my my extended team, I set the expectation, we're going to work really hard. This is going to be a really, really difficult year of change, but I don't want us working more than 45 hours a week. If you are, that's nine hours a day. If you are regularly working nine hours every single day and still not feeling like you're catching up, there's something wrong. 
either the way that you're working is not productive, the tools that you have are not sufficient, we need new headcount, like either way, like 45 hours a week is a huge work week. So it, some of it's just setting expectations. The other part's getting people to work with you that'll hold you accountable. It, we, we all got to look out for each other because the businesses are running full steam ahead and they're not really waiting for us to find headspace. They're looking to us to just do the work that's in front of us. So I think we got to kind of look out for each other. I love that that people are empowered to give themselves permission, though. You, you mm. know, like you, you're you're letting them know whether it's uh, whether you're being subtle about it or overt. You're you're letting them know, you know, what the parameters are. John, looks like you want to jump in on this conversation. I was just going to say what what an interesting thing you're talking about there, because what you just said is this what I would think of as an old industrial behemoth yeah. is setting the kinds of workplace safety standards that you'd love to see happen in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and I have been so impressed with the culture here. I I, I came in here for the projects. I, I honestly kind of maybe should have probed the culture a little more to find out what I was getting into. Cause you're right. Um, do you have, are Gene or John, are you familiar with the work appropriately framework that we announced uh, in April last year? No, no, but Tell you know, okay. So, but you know, like all these companies were running their HR leadership through the countless exercise of return to work, mm-hmm. right? What does mm-hmm. sure. return to office look like? Sure. I'm sure that we did a lot of that. But we realized there's no perfect scenario. And so instead, um, Mary Barras, our CEO, she used to be our CHRO. And when she was CHRO, she took like an 18-page dress code and scrapped it and said, dress appropriately. (laughs) Don't show up in your fuzzy slippers. (laughs) Dress appropriately, right? Yeah. We're taking the same approach to to work. Work appropriately. I love that. You know, for myself, I actually do get a lot of creative headspace in the evening. I am not a creator in the morning. And so if I know I have a big project thing to get done, like my, my, my deck for the HR tech, you know, I did that at between six o'clock and 11 o'clock at night. I just bam, 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 got it done. But I left the office early. I, I you know, I blocked off my calendar for the afternoon because I knew I was going to be putting a lot of time in for that project we still have that, like we have with this framework, every manager and team could decide, you know, what is appropriate for you to get your work done? Is it nine to five? Maybe. Is it working in an office full time? It actually might be for some people who have, you know, a bunch of kids at home or, you know, they, they don't have a, an office space like I do, you know, whatever, or maybe it's a hybrid. Now we have some like parameters for it, but honestly, I, I don't know what the culture was before, but I know now that this concept of work appropriately is something that we can constantly push and probe each other with. It, it is very empowering, actually. It's a framework instead of something, a policy for people to police. It's a framework for us to figure out, figure it out for ourselves. I, I'm fascinated by this because in terms of GM's employer brand, I'm, I'm kind of with you, John. I, I would not have thought of this innovative approach. So, so Kyle, how do you communicate this? Um, I honestly don't have to. Um, I think, I mean, I, I, I mostly will try to referee a little, if mm-hmm. I, like I said, if I see someone that's regularly working really late hours, I want to know, it, are they working 
all day that late, you know, I, I'm just checking in. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, I think that, um, you know, we still got work to do. And if the work's not getting done, I need to know what's up. Um, you know, do you not have the resources? Was the, were the, was the direction not clear? I mean, you still have that stuff. But um, if I know somebody's getting great work done and they're only putting in like 20, 25 hours, I hope that no one from my HR team's listening. Doesn't really bother me. You know, like that's the work that yeah. we paid you for and you did it in 20 hours. Great. I'm not going to give you like twice as much work and at the same pay. Yeah. You know, and I do have somebody who has, I mean, probably put in 25 hours in a week before and still put up really great work. I'm not going to get on their case. I used to be an analyst. There were times where you would have a similar low work week and then you also have a huge work week, right? right? It's, it, it's all, yeah, it evens it all out. out. Yeah. It evens mm-hmm. out. So, it's so, all about trust, I think. So, so I, I want to pick up on Gene's question and just drill it a little bit more. You're, you're doing talent attraction and you have mm-hmm. to communicate this. And so, so if you said to me without this level of conversation behind it, I got to tell you about the GM culture because we work appropriately. Mm-hmm. I'd have laughed my tail off. And, uh, God, no, 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 no. This is the rust belt. That's not how it works. Um, mm. Right. And so there's this you know, image hurdle that you have to overcome. And some of the things that you're talking about in the workplace are awesome um, and um, not consonant with the historic reputation of the brand. Mm. Uh, I've got a lot of redefining to do. Um, how do you do? It's just interesting to, to know how you do that. How do you build credibility into this level of transformation? Mm. I don't try to do it myself. You know, it's not just a tagline or uh, you know a, an ad on LinkedIn. We, it's real. And the best part about being real is I have a hundred thousand people I can call on to tell the story with me. And that really is a cornerstone of our employer brand efforts is getting this in huge global organization of really hardworking people to tell us that this is real. Um, you know, people who are able to, um, during COVID to not have to choose between work and going and taking care of their families, you know, or even now, um, People who we can hire anywhere in the U.S. for, you know, certain jobs. I can't hire somebody in uh, Poughkeepsie for an assembly line job in uh, Fort Wayne. But um, it really has opened the door for us because it is the reality of their work. Um, And I think that's one thing that is that's one challenge I'm not worried about is telling an, uh, an authentic employer brand story. I have authenticity gold. It is it is very real. That's the easy part. The hard part is crystallizing it. You know, I have 12 different talent personas from an hourly assembly line worker to a cybersecurity engineer that I need to make this relevant for everyone. So that's the harder part is getting capturing the the nuanced value propositions, but at the highest level, John, it's, it really is selling itself. And I'll give you an anecdote uh, to help drive it home. Our retention rates, I'm sorry, our, um, what is the opposite of retention? Attrition. 
attrition, thank you. <laughs> Our attrition rates are six times lower than the national average right now. Wow. Oh. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. In salary. I mean, in hourly, it's it's a mess for everybody. But um, yeah. And the majority of our attrition is from retirees. Yeah, which was going to happen anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially after COVID. There, I mean, it's right. been a, a really tough couple of years. They're they've, they're finally ready. Right. Um, but that's amazing, right? Like, those are numbers that speak for themselves. I'm happy with those, especially because this is happening where, you know, we can't compete with these, like, trillion-dollar valuations, which I just think is absolutely insane. But we're not competing with this big, shiny stuff. We're competing at the real down to earth level. And I think that actually plays really well to being a Midwestern OEM, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, Kyle, I have to ask you this because you, you've, um, you're accustomed having been an analyst, you, you remember what it was like to have all the vendors chasing you and hope to be in your research reports and want to tell you about, you know, all kinds of, of, um, of, uh, lies about their products and all those things. I'll just say what it was. Um, Snake oil. But yes, exactly. But now you're in the enviable position of actually calling the shots in terms of what's in the tech stack. What's it like to have all these vendors now chase you in that capacity? They have no idea how hard it is on this side. They have no idea how much work it takes for me to even consider adding any of their capabilities in to this to the strategy. Just today I had I I try to respond to people that are that have customized the message and you know and I'll and I'll try to give the message back and I said thank you so much. I have four major systems that are in implementation right now. I cannot consider adding even a, a like a slight service until June. I even gave them a time to mm-hmm. check back in with yeah. me. And she came back right and she's like, oh, my God, no, this is easy. You won't have to do anything. There's no implementation. There's no nothing. And I'm like, honestly, I was really kind to give you some, like, context and a timeline. And I think that's enough. That's more than most vendors get. And she came and told me that it was easy. And so, sorry, I was feeling a little sassy. I was like, well, let me tell you what this would take. I have to find the budget, whether that's going to be new budget or allocated budget. I'm going to have to get into the IT portfolio process. Whether it's an IT project or not, they're going to have to look at this. And they want that a year in advance. You know, I just ran it through. And I'm like, so I've done this four times already in my first nine months here. I'm not ready to pick something else up. June is when we'll talk. You know, and it's just, I think I'm getting irritated because of the audacity and I think that the, I've had the opportunity to meet some really smart sellers in this space and some really savvy marketers. And so I think I have way less patience for the dum-dums mm-hmm. who are just grinding through their list of leads. Right. You know, right. Uh, I mean, I get it. My, my brother's in software sales and I respect the hustle, <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> but I try to be a good customer, a good prospect. And when people don't respond to it, it really grates. Honestly, you, know? you I was in sales years ago. And, and what you just described, the fact you even responded and gave a time frame for follow-up, that's gold. That's gold. So, so being gracious and just backing down from that and following up over the summer would have made a lot more sense. But, but yeah, it's got to be tough. I mean... Um, I know HRCI did a, a survey recently, a poll on one of their webinars, and I think like almost 40% of the 
HR professionals in attendance, um, said there are just so many vendors chasing them all the time. Like it's just, you know, this is like part of their daily job is just managing all these vendors who are coming after them. It's John, crazy. Yeah. John, it looks so you're shaking your head. So I, I bet you have some tales to tell. Oh, you know, you know, I was just I was just thinking about how generous you are and I'm wondering how long it's going to last. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Before actually, you become me, curmudgeons me... like us. <laughs> no, I actually, I agree with you, John. And the, the two of you taught me about generosity. It does not, it is, it does not cost me anything to take someone who is trying and, and give them something. You know, I mean, both of you have been excellent, like wonderful mentors. You have been advocates you have been friends, it it pays back, right? And so I think that giving someone the first pass at generosity is, I think the world should be operating that way. Um, when somebody doesn't take it and, you know, use those powers for good, then, you know, that's that. But no, the two of you, I think, and, and many people in this, in this ecosystem have been hugely generous with their time and expertise and I think that's one thing that's great about the HR tech space is this is a pretty cohesive ecosystem. I mean, it gets really competitive. It gets really frustrating. But at the end of the day, I would love to sit down with either of you for a glass of wine and talk to you about what's going on in your life. And, you know, I think that it's that's different. Um, and I can get it on the practitioner side because I know how really challenging it is to be. I mean, I have by power. Most of those practitioners don't. Mm -hmm. I get it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I would leave with generosity and spirit anyway. It's what got me here. I, I've got to pay that back. Exactly. Please don't change. Please don't change. No. <laughs> That's all no. I have to say. Yeah, I have bad days, John. I, I think we all do. <laughs> well, John. I was pretty sassy in that response. I won't lie. Yeah. I was like, listen, lady. Yeah. <laughs> listen, girl. <laughs> you know what? I gave you a gift here and you're throwing it back in my face. Hey, John, I, we've got time for one more question. How about one more from you? Um, so, so you spent all of that time at Beamery, and that is a um, an amazing monument to the idea of candidate relationship management. It's 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 an astonishing approach to candidate relationship management. Now you're in a place to use that sort of thing. Are you using it? Yeah, you know, I learned a lot from seeing the challenges of um, adoption. CRM has a huge adoption challenge. Um, it is it is innately valuable, but only insofar as it gets used, right? And so the approach that I am taking here is a a, a, a like a, a, a beta program, where we had beta might not Jerry would call it the early adopter program. <laughs> we know that, that would be Jerry service. Jerry Crispin. Is that okay? No, no, Jerry Barrison. Jerry, Jerry Barrison. okay, um, okay. Yeah. Um, the early ad adopter program, and we're looking at our core user group, which is sourcers, mark, and marketers, and then also the savviest recruiters that we have. Um, and we we implemented, uh, we sprinted to just minimum viable product. We didn't we didn't over configure everything. We got statuses, we got tags, we got pools, and and then that's it, right? We don't even have it connected to our ATS workday. And we're letting them just use it. 
And, you know, we've got some guardrails, we have some user groups, so we're checking in with them and we're just letting them use it the way that they organically would. And um, we're learning from them, we're getting feedback from them so we can take that into our waterfall implementation and configuration. But what I have is 25 people who I can cultivate and encourage and set up to succeed. And then I have 25 ambassadors that will go out during the change management and be like, oh, no, here, let me show you how to do this. You know, I was a part of the early adopter program for General Motors' first ever CRM. Like, that's a career moment, right? Um, So we're really trying to take this approach. I'm not going to have just me and a couple of, of people sitting and saying, this is what the CRM should look like and build it and then expect everybody to come and use it. No, I'm going to let the users get in there and tell us how it should be optimized from here. I love that. So far, so good. What a great approach. What yeah. a great approach. So smart. So smart. Mm. Thank well, you. We, we are at time. We could talk to you forever, Kyle, but I, know. I wish we could. I, I miss know. you all. I know. <laughs> I know. So, so um, uh, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. But hopefully mm-hmm. not sales reps, just other other mm-hmm. folks who want to get in touch with you. <laughs> nope. Uh, look, honestly, I am way more present on my LinkedIn now than I ever have been. So you can find me at Kyle Lagunas, uh, L-A-G-U-N-A-S on LinkedIn. I have a Twitter. I never use it. Don't follow me on Instagram. I just post <laughs> sassy political memes. Um, catch me on LinkedIn. It's the only social media I've got anymore. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We have so enjoyed this conversation. And this is The Work. 